And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hey everybody, happy Monday. How are we doing? Welcome to um, The Drop Set 115. I, I don't know. It's kind of a running joke that I actually have no idea how many episodes of this that I've done and never uh, any clue as to what episode number we're on when I hit record, and I immediately, as soon as I hit the record button, I'm like, damn it, I probably should have looked at that, but uh, I don't think anybody cares. So how are you doing? Um, it has been a little while. I've been all over the place. So um, when we left last, not last week, last episode, the week before last week, um, I was getting ready. God, what day of the week did I record that? And I feel like it was Thursday, maybe the day before I left. I don't know, or Wednesday. It, it was... My memory of that, I'm not going to speak in absolutes here, but I'm going to say what I remember of that, it's been a little bit of a blur, obviously, is uh, it was before my trip to Oregon, which I left on, what, Friday, I think the 20, 29th, something like that, um, if I go back here, yeah, Friday the 29th of March, I was there for the rest of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and flew back on a red-eye on Tuesday morning. So that was an interesting experience. I hadn't done the red-eye thing before, and I wanted to try it. So um, overall, good news. Dad's looking good, improving. He's in a rehab facility right now, and uh, his current uh, anticipated discharge date is the 19th, so in 11 days, which is cool. So that'll be when I go back again. I will be there when he goes home, so... Anyway, uh, your continued uh, undying patience uh, is is very appreciated because I am uh, I'm trying to keep it together here while having uh, a whole lot going on, on on a whole bunch of different fronts. So um, that uh, that trip was interesting. Um, it, it was fun. I mean, you know, it, it was what it was, which is travel, and you know, I f I fly into Portland. I've got about an hour and a half drive um, to get down to mom and dad's, and then. The hospital's another, you know, 50 minutes further south from there, and that's a trek that we make every day back and forth. That's what my mom's doing right now, and it's kind of wearing her down a little bit. So it's good for me to just go there and just chauffeur her around for a, a long weekend, if nothing else. Um, but that was good. Um, you know, we, were, we sat in for a whole bunch of therapy sessions, which is great. Got to see how he was doing. And uh, then came back, and uh, yeah, so that, that was, we had a whole day there on Monday. And usually I leave it Monday. There's a, a, a flight that's really easy to catch out of Portland at around 1 in the afternoon or so, which means, you know, I wake up, I've got time to like go get a workout in in the morning, but I don't have time to go down to the hospital because it's the opposite direction. Um, so that means I'm staying there on Monday, but I only get to see dad at the facility through like, you know, Saturday or so, or I'm sorry, Sunday. So the fact that um, I was there all day on Monday, got to go down to the hospital again, which was great, got an extra day out of it. And then my thinking was, hey, you know what? It's a red eye. It leaves out of Portland at like, um, you know, quarter past midnight. Um, I'll get into Knoxville around 10.30, a.m. on Tuesday. I'll have slept on the plane. So, you know, the um, I will uh, hit the grocery store on the way home, do a little meal, meal prep, um, eat, and then do some work and then crash. All of that happened except for the sleep on the plane part. Um, so I got through, I would say, about 
half of my Tuesday updates that were scheduled, which included the ones from Monday. And I've only got a handful that are scheduled for Monday, um, just about, about three or so usually. Um, so they, they were all pushed to Tuesday. So I had a, a slightly larger Tuesday roster and I got through about half of that. And like at that point, I didn't know my name. <laughs> it was just, I was exhausted. So I just crashed. And then it was just playing catch up for the whole rest of the week. So then Wednesday, I had a full Wednesday roster plus half a Tuesday. Well, I didn't get through all that. And so... Um, I did what I basically never do, which is I'm emailing clients at the end of the day saying, hey, I didn't get to your stuff. I'm going to get to it tomorrow. Um, I, I just never do that. And it kind of made me realize, like, you know what? Under extenuating circumstances, it's kind of okay to do that, Darren. You can let go of your OCD. You can be a normal human being. You can be a little bit late. It's not life or death. And um, people will understand. So... Thanks all. I appreciate I appreciate you being patient with me. Um, by the time Friday rolled around, I was finally caught up in all phases, um, just because I was caught up on on client check ins, and also uh, I, I woke up five minutes before my alarm went off on Friday, so I kind of knew that I was back in the groove a little bit. So um, it was a good weekend to just kind of relax a little bit. Worked outside um, on Saturday. Actually got some sun for the first time in forever, um, and uh, did a little bit of planting. Um, Mostly I just, I, I kind of watched uh, the wife work and do planting. I can't really do a whole lot. Like I was working the weed eater and stuff and like um, picking up some, uh, some dead branches off trees. But uh, trying to work a shovel with my foot, I, my right foot's got this tendinitis on it. And r really what aggravates it, it are, is unpredictability. Like I can, I can, like I will have a leg workout today and I'm going to go and, you know, put, you know, 600 pounds or so on the squat machine and rep that out and it's gonna feel just fine but taking Taz for a walk and like he's gonna pull me downhill a little bit and I'm gonna take a weird step and it's gonna land wrong on my foot that's the problem that's the problem or like stepping on a shovel that's the problem so uh what I can do I mean it's kind of convenient like yeah I can work out but <laughs> sorry sweetie I can't do any housework I can't help you outside with the yard so you're on your own there I mean it's kind of really convenient and ideal in that sense but uh you know I don't, I don't like missing out on that stuff I don't like not being able to take Taz for a walk I did yesterday I took him one for the, uh took him for a walk in the afternoon kind of paid for it a little bit my foot it, you know didn't get re-aggravated but it was definitely kind of like a hey you know you shouldn't be doing this buddy kind of thing so it clearly needs a little bit more rest so um so that's been uh, my life and my story. And then yesterday I sat around and watched, uh, got caught up on some episodes of Star Trek Discovery. That was my, that was my Sunday. It was a rest day. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's been good. Um, I did, uh, I checked in with Coach while I was away in, uh, in Oregon and got an update from her. So I finally got some macros increased, got actually proteins, carbs, and fats all bumped up. So my current numbers are like 350, 240, 100, something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I made some adjustments to the meal plan. And, you know, uh, oftentimes people who are, I, I've talked about this so many times, people that are doing flexible dieting, you are often flexible um, to your own detriment, which is not to say that you have to do the same thing every day. But if you do the same thing most days, it makes your life so much easier. I just don't log stuff in my fitness pal. I got that update from her on Sunday, I think. I spent five minutes kind of retooling things and figuring out like, hmm, how am I going to hit all these numbers? What do I want to do here? Okay. And so what I ended up doing was um, I changed my uh, 
protein distribution around just a little bit, but that was actually the last thing I did because I had a, a pretty significant bump in fats. Like it was an extra 25 grams thrown in, um, an extra 35, 25 grams of carbs. So I wanted to play around with some stuff. So I changed my post-workout carb source. Um, I had been doing uh, reduced fat Ritz crackers and now I switched that just to cereal. The thing there is, you know, those reduced fat crackers still for a sleeve of those, you're getting about 12 grams of fat. Now for cereal, um, I bumped up my post-workout carb serving by about 15. So I'm pushing close to 80 grams of carbs post-workout and it's like two grams of fat. So I got a whole bunch of fats freed up that way. So I got to plug in some cashews and some almonds. Um, and those have trace carbs, trace protein. So I really kind of started with the fats. After after I changed that post-workout carb source, um, I, I plugged in my fats until I got those to where they wanted to be. And then um, I just adjusted my protein intake and uh, or protein sources, the portion sizes, and then uh, like a later carb portion as well. Bumped up my pre-workout carbs a little bit. So um, And then that's, you know, that's what I'm doing. And that's what I've done every day. I had a cheat meal on Saturday night. And strangely enough, I didn't gain any weight going into Sunday. So um, things are looking feeling pretty good, pretty happy happy with it, noticing some improvements in uh, back and legs, each of which I'm hitting twice at this stage. So they better be damn well improving. Jeez. With the, I, mean, I feel like I'm actually kind of busting my butt and kicking some ass for once during an off-season phase. And I'm not just being very casual about it, but I'm being really, really aggressive with how I approach it. So, And I feel like it's paying off. So um, I did crack 230 this morning on the scale. Um, I've been about 228 for the past few days. So um, a little spike. It'll probably be come back down a little bit uh, tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. But things are going really well. i got legs coming up here in a little bit. I've got a dentist appointment today. So uh, that that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Yep. So... That is, uh, that is an update in the world of me. So um, let's talk about all y'all. So there is one um, message that's been sitting out here for a long time. This comes from, <laughs> this comes from Instagram and from Andrew Jacobson. So um, it, uh, it, this, what, it says this came March 12th. So good job, Darren. Good job staying on top of this stuff here. So um, yeah, so Andrew says, <clears throat> let's see. Hey, Darren. Hey, Andrew. How you doing? Um, <laughs> I recently came across your podcast, been thoroughly enjoying it. Oh, thank you so much. You're far too kind. Um, curious if you've ever discussed building muscle and losing fat at the same time, maybe tangentially, but not at, in depth. So, um, and uh, Andrew continues, the reason I ask is because I've always believed it was impossible as a natural. However, I recently followed a very strict diet that had me almost at maintenance calories and the scale never really changed. And I'm almost certain I built muscle while losing fat. My strength also increased. So if you've got any podcasts covering this, please let me know. Well, I don't, but this one is for you, Andrew. So, um, yeah, so, um, have I discussed it but briefly, briefly, um, is it possible to build muscle and lose fat now? I mean, what you're talking about is a recomp. So, um, is it possible? Yes. Is it difficult? Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you know, your, your intake has to be dialed in pretty close to maintenance levels, um, maybe a little bit South of that, but here's the thing. You can build muscle on sub maintenance, um, calories. It is possible. You don't have to be at a surplus where people start to get um, a little bit of uh, where, where there's a starts to develop a difference of opinion is just the the appropriate strategy for for building muscle. So, and the one thing that I have talked about on this is that when you build muscle, it's a slow process, and it can be very difficult for those who are not terribly patient to realize that things are happening. And this is assuming that you've got things firing on all cylinders. You've optimized your, your uh, diet for growth. So, you know, you're, you're going to be putting on weight. You have some kind of, you know, measurable 
uh, data that you can look at. Okay, well, the scale's increasing, so clearly I've got to be putting on some muscle. I mean, sure, some of it's fat, but, you know, I'm stronger, I'm heavier now, um, I feel thicker, I look bigger, so it's good, right? And that that's largely how we, um, how you might quantify uh, a growth phase because you could do like skinfold calipers and try to get a body fat estimate. But as I've talked about many times, those are all estimates. So, um, you, you can, you can check your skinfold calipers, but you, you can't say, Oh, well I've gone from 11.6 body fat percentage to 12.1 body fat percentage. So it's increased by 0.5%. But if I look at my lean body mass at this previous reading, and then my lean body mass now based on that body fat percentage calculation, then clearly I know that I've gained this much muscle and no, 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 stop playing that game. It doesn't work. Um, you are, you are taking very rough estimates and you are treating them as though they are the precise numbers. They are not, um, there, there is no, I mean, one, one thing that we learned in, um, statistics, and this was also in physics and in other engineering courses is you never imply more precision in a number than you can guarantee, which means you know, and I, I see this when people log their food as well. They'll be like, oh, um, I am logging this as, you know, 12.27 grams of carbs. Like, really? 12.27? Really? Are you using a mass spectrometer to weigh that thing out? I mean, what are you doing? How are, how are you getting your grams of carbs measured to the hundredth of a gram? Give me a break. That, that is unrealistic precision. You don't have tools that can actually measure that. You, you don't have the ability to be that precise. What you can say is, well, I'm getting about 12, about 12, which means really it's, it's somewhere between like 11 and 13 probably. So uh, I always laugh when somebody shows me logs where um, uh, macros that are determined to the 10th or the 100th. Um, it's just like, no, no. And just like uh, somebody says, um, you know, oh, my body, my body fat percentage is, you know, 8.72%. No, it's not. You know, I mean, I, I get that you think it is, but it ain't that because you're taking uh, – measurements and then you're making estimates of estimates based off of those measurements. So what you can say instead of 8.72, you can say, well, I'm probably somewhere between like seven and 10. Realistically, it's, it's somewhere around there probably. And the, the precision, uh, that, that level of precision is what those tests will allow for. So you, if you're trying to make adjust, uh, make, uh, assessments on, muscle gain based on those numbers, you've got a really wild swing. You might, I might, if I looked at where I was, like, let's say I'm taking caliper measurements and I'm plugging that into a body fat percentage scale. So, um, it might say that my lean body mass was, uh, I don't know. I'm going to just make up some numbers here. 188 pounds last week. And it's 189.6 pounds this week. But you know what, what it really meant is last week, based on those calculations, my lean body mass, it said 188. It was probably somewhere between 186 and 186. 190. And now this week, it's probably somewhere between 187 and 191 or something like that. Again, totally making up numbers here. So has it increased? Yeah, but still there's a lot of overlap. If you were going to draw a Venn diagram of overlapping circles between those two ranges, there's a lot of overlap. So there's a lot of scenarios under which, you know, that number hasn't changed. It may have actually decreased. Um, you just don't know. You, you can make some guesses and you can make some assumptions, but it is an inexact science. It really is. And if you try to convince yourself that it's not, all you're doing is fooling yourself and you're just lying to yourself. So, so we look for, for useful data where we can get it, but you've, you've got to understand 
the level of precision that is implied in this data and what is useful and what is not. So that stuff, not so much. But um, if, if you look at the trends and you say, okay, well, things are going up and then you can still take like direct skinfold readings and just don't plug those into a calculator. You can say, you know, if, if you're... Um, abdominal skin fold and you know that's a, an area I mean for me I know that's an area that's kind of sensitive and you know if I'm if I'm gaining or losing body fat I'm going to see it there probably pretty consistently not always but pretty consistently it's going to show up in a reading there so I'll use my I'll pull out my calipers and I'll just do a pinch it's also the easiest site to pinch on yourself um, and get a, a, a reasonably accurate reading so um, I'll, I'll do pinches there and if uh, if I'm trying to gain uh, if I'm trying to gain muscle and I've gained two pounds in a week and that reading has gone from like an eight to a nine, it's going to make me think like, huh, how useful is that? Because those readings they're they're just in millimeters and that's you know how thick is your skin fold there and they're called skin folds but you're really just pinching your fat. Um, so it, it, as that number goes up, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and what you need to try and figure out is okay the rate at which is in, which it's increasing is that appropriate for the rate at which the scale is increasing as well so if I gain two pounds on the scale and one millimeter on that pinch I'm thinking mm, that might not be a good thing but if I can uh, gain two three four pounds on the scale and have that thing hold pretty well steady I'm like that's a win that's big because I'm clearly not putting on fat there. Then you have to do a little visual assessment like, okay, well, what about everywhere else? Like, you know, how, is it all just going to my love handles or my ass or whatever? So that's a very real possibility as well. So again, it's an inexact science. There's no perfect answer. There's no rock solid solution here, but you can kind of guess and check a little bit. So anyway, all that to say, all that to say, um, when, when you're firing on all cylinders and things are going really well, um, muscle gain is still a slow process. When your diet is geared 100% towards muscle gain, you're busting your ass in the gym, especially as a natural, it is a slow process. So then if you dial things back a little bit, dial your intake back a little bit, and put yourself in, uh, away from something that would be like a hardcore all the way, yeah, buddy, full speed ahead growth phase, towards something that's more of a recomp phase where you have the ability to grow, but you also have the ability to drop some body fat. Those slow gains, those slow muscle gains are going to become slower still. And I find that it's not practical for most people because most people do not have the patience to, to, to wait and realize those gains when things are not completely optimized towards growth. So if, I mean, here's the thing, it's probably more ideal from just a, um, a, a textbook approach, it's probably more ideal to, to focus on trying to, to recomp. Um, so you can actually drop some body fat, you can build some muscle, but the thing is our, our brains, uh, we're all human. So trying to say to somebody, okay, it's a slow process. We're going to slow it down even more. And you've got to be really consistent with it. Cause if you slip up, then you're going to kind of screw up the whole experiment. So you've got to be really consistent with it. You've got to work really hard. Um, even though you're probably going to be a little under maintenance calories it's a tough thing to do. So if you can do that, and I mean, you'll need likely photos, perhaps some outside observation, a little bit of data to back it all up. Um, you're going to need a good bit of, uh, of evidence to really be able to convince yourself like, okay, yeah, this is working. And then you're going to need the patience to stick with it for long enough to know that it's working um, and to, to really give it a chance to work. But it's probably more ideal that way. I never approach it that way with clients just because I know, you know, pe people are typically, 
not always, but typically hiring a coach because they're kind of impatient and they, they want to get it, get things optimized so that they can, you know, be as efficient as possible, maximum re- results for minimal effort, or, you know, as is more, more often the case, maximal results for, you know, appropriate high level of effort, but not trying to work harder than, um, than you, than, you know, trying, what's the best way to say that? Not spinning your wheels. People don't want to bust their ass and get suboptimal results is what I'm saying. Not that people are trying to work, you know, as little as possible, but you want to get maximal results. And if you, if you can get maximal results for minimal effort, great. But typically it's going to be maximal results for maximal effort as opposed to submaximal results for maximal effort. That's what I'm getting there. That's probably a better way to say it. Um, so people don't, you know, they don't have the patience. Um, and now if somebody does, then I'm going to say like, all right, cool. We're going to try and take a fairly slow approach here. Where we're going to get your training intensity really dialed in. Um, and, uh, we're going to see what you can do. And sometimes that works. And sometimes after six weeks, I'll get an email from somebody who's like, yeah, that's, I don't think this is for me. I'm like, well, you know, you, you said you're in it for the long haul. So I took it your word for that. So, uh, if you're not, you know, we can try and switch some things around, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, people, uh, change their minds when, once they see like, oh yeah, this isn't all that glamorous after all. Um, not, not a whole lot's happening here. It's happening slowly. It, it's supposed to happen slowly. That that's the nature of bodybuilding. Yes. You got to be patient. So, um, anyway, it is, is it possible to do both? Yeah. Is it necessarily, um, realistic for most people? I don't think so. So Andrew, if you're having success with that, Hey, this one's for you. Golf clap for you, buddy. Uh, Well-deserved because it's a hard thing to do. Seriously. Uh, golf claps are like inherently sarcastic, aren't they? I don't mean for them to be. That was genuine. That was that was a legit golf clap. So, um, But yeah, it, it's possible. And here's, here's the thing. So you put in the work. You've just got to make sure that you're well-fed around your training window. So if you're trying to run like a big deficit, you've got no carbs in your system or anything like that, nah, you're, you're not going to grow um, on that. But if you're a little sub-maintenance, but you know, you've got th- – think of your, your um, TDEE, your total daily energy expenditure. Now divide that by 24, and you have your THEE, your total hourly energy expenditure. So um, as long as you're in a surplus – uh, you're in a surplus from your T-H-E-E during your workout time and a little bit post-workout so that you can grow. You're giving your body what it needs when it needs it. It's not optimal, but you know that, that's good. You're, you're making sure that you're fed pre-workout for fuel, post-workout for recovery. And so even if it's a little, your intake's a little bit south for the rest of the day, it's not the end of the world. Um, you, you are missing out on potential growth and recovery and doing that, but still you've got enough gas in the tank that if you're if you've got a really big surplus around those hours you can still get some stuff done you can still grow a little bit so that's a really good question though um so anyway thank you andrew for that one i appreciate it um let's uh you know actually i'm bouncing around all over the place here so this is where a real podcaster um would stop recording they'd push the space bar they'd slam it and uh then they would be like, okay, I got to go back and edit this. There was something I forgot to talk about before I went to, to questions this week. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't have that kind of time or patience. Yeah. I, I spend my patience elsewhere, but, but not with editing a, a podcast episode. So there were a couple things that I wanted to talk about as part of the intro, um, but we're going to get to them now. So one of them is uh, just a reminder, a public service announcement to everybody. It's tax time. I don't know if y'all know that or not. 
This sounds like it's about to become a commercial for TurboTax or something like that. But no, no. If you listen to a lot of radio shows, how the host will just automatically like slip into um, ad copy and they'll start they'll just start talking and re- reading an advertisement I'm like. You know, everybody, it's tax time. And for me, the solution for all my tax problems lies with TurboTax. Uh, well, you know, it does, really. So this is a kind of an unpaid endorsement. Like, they make life a lot easier for me, um, especially as a, a business owner. I've got a, all these deductions to manage. Basically, um, a, a reminder, a gentle reminder, everybody, knock out your taxes. Now, I get emails. Here is something where I'm going to rag on TurboTax a little bit. Every time, let me go to my email here. Hold on a second, just because I want to recite this. Um, let's see. Where are we here? Okay. I'm going to just search in my archives because I don't delete anything. TurboTax. Okay. Yeah, so here it was. So I've been getting these every few days. April 4th, April 1st, March 28th, March 25th, March 21st. Man, they're like like clockwork going back to... It's like every three days, every three or four days, going back to January 7th is when it started. So um, anyway, April 4th, the email that I get from TurboTax, subject line, your refund is waiting. March 28th, subject line, we've got your maximum refund for 2018. Uh, March 18th. We've got a sneak peek of your easy refund. Hey, assholes, don't you realize I'm not getting a refund? I pay taxes. That's what I do. I have not paid them for the year. I'm paying them now. I don't get a refund. So kindly go screw yourselves, please. There's the the PG version for y'all. I want to say it a little bit harsher than that because every time I get an email from TurboTax, Taz just came down to me and was like, what's wrong, dad? Why are you so pissed now? Hey, buddy, it's okay. It's okay. I know. I'm not. I'm pretend pissed. Okay, pretend pissed at TurboTax. Um, I, I don't get a refund. You know, I, I pay taxes. So uh, <laughs> April fifteenth for for me is the opportunity to pay my biggest check of the year, um, and that's all it is. There will never be a refund. Now that being said, I do save a little bit. Um, you know, like. 30% um, every month goes into a, a cash account with my financial advisor. Um, and so I save that for tax time. And so I just plugged in um, my 1099 and my wife's W-2 this year um, just to see like, okay, what's the worst case scenario here before applying any deductions at all, just because that's the part that takes time. And I didn't have time to sit down and do that yesterday. Um, and it, it turns out I've oversaved by a good chunk. So I'm like, yeah, buddy. Awesome. So that maybe there is kind of a refund, but really it's just, you know, it, it's just me writing a smaller check. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I just, uh, I, that, it's one of those things that annoys the hell out of me. So I just figured I would uh, share that thinking that as I vent that out, it might help me feel a little bit better. I got to tell you this time it really didn't. It didn't help. So I tried though. I tried. Um, one other thing that I thought was interesting here is, and I've talked about this before um, about uh, people who are in a growth season or an off season as opposed to pre-contest and how on social media, when that happens, it's like they just totally disappear and they become completely MIA. And like every post is like a throwback to the last time they were lean. And that's like they're totally hiding out and afraid to let people see them. And I, I, I think I have called people out, um, not by name, but just generally speaking for that lack of transparency and said, you know, you're really you're, you're causing a problem because you're you're perpetuating this 
this uh, idea that these competitors are lean all the time because that's the only version of them that ever gets put out there, um, which, which is not not really fair. And I just realized, like, I've kind of become part of the problem there. So I'm kind of calling myself out. But at the same time, I'm also saying, you know, I the the I don't know. I don't want to be a dude that just does endless selfies all the time. It's like, here's what I'm looking like. So, hey, check me out. Clearly, I know what I'm doing. So you should hire me as your coach. It's like, you know, why, why don't I try to put out some more meaningful content, like show what some of my clients are doing or talk about like some um, techniques in the gym or some meal prep stuff. It doesn't have to be all about me all the time. And it's a lot easier to say that when I'm definitely when I'm about 30, 35 pounds up from where I was before. Um Versus, you know, when it's pre-contest time again or when it's cutting time again, um, it'll be like, hey, everybody, I'm here in the kitchen, no shirt this time, as opposed to having seven layers of clothes put on. So here I am, ha, peep these abs, check this shit out, subscribe, love me, etc. I'm hoping that ain't me. I'm I'm old enough now. I think I'm over that. So um, I was never really all that into it to begin with. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm... uh, just a little more low key than that, I think. I just, I just wanted to acknowledge though that uh, I have called people out on that before, and now I'm like totally appearing to be part of that. I'm just trying to be a little bit more relevant with some of the stuff that I put out there, rather than just like, "Hey, here's here's shape of the day for Monday." I'm like, nobody gives two fucks, dude. Nobody at all. You're gonna get likes from that just because people are like, "Ooh, I like that," but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help me with what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um. We got uh, we got a note here from somebody. So uh, hold on, where did I put that thing? Let me find it here and see. How does this work again? How do I do this? It's Tom from Evansville. I just want to know what's the difference between isolate protein and whey protein, and is one better than another? Or same? Thanks a lot, Darren. Ah, oh, there we go. That's how it's done. All right, thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Um, so isolate versus whey. Um, tricky thing there. So, um, let's, uh, let's start with a a hierarchy here. So let's go to the very, very top of the pyramid for classification. Let's, let's, let's handle it that way. Um, first thing is, um, let's just say protein at the very, very top. So underneath protein, we have all these different kinds of varieties of protein. So you can have like whey, you can have soy, you can have pea, hemp, beef protein, et cetera. We're talking about protein powders specifically. So you've got all these different um, constituent ingredients that can make up a protein powder. You can distill pretty much anything into its base proteins and powder it and and make make a a protein powder out of it. So um, under the umbrella of whey, then you have a few different categories. categories. The two that are most common would be isolate or concentrate. Um, And I think that's really the question here. So whey isolate, whey concentrate. Um, Typically now... um, and then uh, also in there, you'll have hydrolyzed. It's very difficult um, to, to find pure hydrolyzed whey protein. Um, it's, uh, it, you, it can be found, but like if I walk into a vitamin shop and I say, hey, what hydrolyzed proteins do you have? They're going to start showing me blends like, well, this one's 20% hydrolyzed and this one's 30% and they don't have any pure hydro- hydrolyzed whey. If you go to truenutrition.com, you can order 100% pure hydrolyzed whey protein, but last time I checked that, it was just ridiculously expensive. Um, I don't know if that's, uh, hold, hold on, hold on. Okay, hopefully that edit wasn't terrible. I had to actually go. Uh, I wanted to go on to True Nutrition's website and just check prices on some things. So, um, 
you know what and and clearly i mean this is true nutrition is more about things in like their their raw ingredient form their you know their packaging is minimal so you get a sense for what the actual value of something is without a bunch of marketing crap thrown onto it so um and they have everything as well so if you were looking at like bsn you're like well what is BSN charge for whey concentrate versus isolate versus hydrolyzed versus casein versus a beef uh, product, etc. You know, they don't have all that. So um, True Nutrition does. So you can kind of get a sense for what is really more expensive here. So um, the whey concentrate they have, so the ranges here, I'm, to, to keep things fairly simple, um, they have a range for everything because I think a lot of it's based on how much, you know, the quantity that you order. So I'm going to give you the low end of the range just so that we have one consistent number for everything here. Um, whey Whey con- concentrate is nine ninety seven a pound. Um, whey isolate twelve thirty four a pound. So it's a little bit more expensive, about twenty percent more expensive. Um, now, um, so nine ninety seven versus twelve thirty four hydrolyzed whey twelve eighty two a pound. So um, now this is a this is milk based. So the other thing here is if you're looking for some kind of lactose free hydrolyzed whey, that ain't it. Um, and then they also have, and I've used this before, which is a hydrolyzed casein. Um, that actually starts at thirty four sixty seven a pound. So um, why is that so expensive? You you got me. You got me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, but there you go. Um, and I think that's uh, hydrolyzed whey. So yeah. So this one is ultra grade. Whatever that is, it's fifteen sixty seven a pound. Um, Twelve eighty two a pound. I don't know what high grade as opposed to ultra grade. I mean. This is a super grade now, thirteen seventy seven a pound. What what the hell does any of this crap mean? I have no idea, no idea whatsoever. So, um, anyway, that just gives you a, a rough uh, rough idea of the price breakdown. So, concentrate is always going to be cheaper. It is less processed. Um, so people always say, oh, processing is bad. No, in this in this uh, example, processing is it's a purification process. So. Um, Whey isolate is is typically going to have fewer trace carbs, trace trace proteins. It's typically going to be a little bit more bioavailable as well. Bioavailability rating is always important. Now, concentrate does not have a low bioavailability or anything like that, but isolate is going to be a little bit higher. And, you know, it's twenty percent more expensive. It's 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 twenty percent more worth it. It it is absolutely. So if you're looking at something at a decision between the two. Um, typically your whey concentrate products are going to be lower quality. Um, also just because they're, you know, they're cutting corners by not putting it through the process that it could then be called isolate. So, you know, a lot of the, the crappy products that you'll find at like, you know, Walmart or Costco and the protein powders that you'll find there typically going to be concentrate. Um, and they're just lower quality. Um, oftentimes there's more filler in those. It's just, you know, it's, stuff to stay away from you're it's difficult to find a high quality whey concentrate product and even if even if you do you're finding one that is by nature not as good as a whey isolate product so it's other than being a little bit less expensive but that's a, a cost that difference that is worth it so now that being said you can find whey isolate products that in spite of all their purification have a bunch of trace carbs and trace fats added back in bsn i'm looking at you and your crappy synthesis product um, it's got, a, what are the macros on synthesis anyway? I just know that they suck. Um, I've looked at this in the past. Um, and you know, it's such a, uh, such a popular product. Um, it, it's depressing. I know so many clients come to me using this. I'm like, yeah, I get something different. It just sucks. Um, 
just because you know all this trace carbs and trace proteins just crap getting added to a product that doesn't really do anything um and especially if you're like on a deficit um then you know the, those trace carbs and fats add up you know it, it's not insignificant um come on amazon pull it up pull up the picture give it to me here we go hold on um yeah so <laughs> Per scoop, 200 calories, 22 grams of protein. So that protein content alone makes it worth 90 calories. So, but it's 200. So suddenly your protein powder is less than 50% protein by calories. Um, 15 grams of carbs, 6 grams of fat. This is a shit product. It is awful. It is terrible. Um, even if you wanted to, I mean, the ratio is terrible. Even let's say, well, I, you know, I want a shake that has carbs in it for, for post-workout. First of all, no, you don't because you should just eat your carbs rather than drink them as part of a shake just because carbs are life. And these are carbs. These are like ghost carbs. You don't even know that they're there. So you're, you're missing out. If you can't find some carb source that you would rather eat versus drinking them in this shake, you've got a serious problem. And I question your value as a human being. So just because it shows a total lack of judgment on your part, you can find something. You can have a damn banana or something. Give me a break. Um, but the ratio is bad. So it's like, you know, it's, it's three to four carbs to protein. So if I was going to do this as like a, a post-workout shake, first of all, I'd have to go two scoops. So suddenly I'm getting 44 grams of protein, only 30 grams of carbs. So I'm going to need some additional carbs in there. And I'm getting 12 grams of fat. I mean, it's like, where is that coming from? And it's not anything that you enjoy. You know, it's not like you're getting anything tasty out of that. So um, it's just terrible. It's terrible. So th this being a, uh, a um, almost positive. So this is actually a blend. So this is um, uh, whey concentrate is listed first. And then whey isolate is listed second. And it says it also has calcium caseinate, micellar casein, w milk protein isolate. Um, so, and it's, uh, what is this? This is almost 30 bucks for 25 scoops. So this is not an inexpensive product either, but yet, uh, so this just goes to show you marketing does a lot apparently because this product, uh, under pretty much any metric is shit. So avoid this here, here, this podcast is not being brought to you by BSN. This product is absolute garbage. There you go. Avoid it. Um, so anyway, uh, Tom, I hope that helps a little bit. So basically, it's not isolate versus whey. It's under the umbrella of isolate. I'm sorry. Oh, good Lord. Where's the rewind button? Under the umbrella of whey proteins, it's isolate versus con concentrate is the big debate that we want to have here. So... Um, Awesome. So I appreciate that. I've got one more thing I want to talk about, but um, I'm going to take a quick little edit break here and then uh, we'll be back on the flip side of this thing. Follow Darren on Instagram at Darren underscore star to see client profiles, updated workout plans, and tips and tricks on training and nutrition. Well, just as proof that uh, nothing really goes according to plan. So I recorded everything that you've heard up until now on Monday. It is now Thursday. So yeah, if you're listening to this and uh, you hear the introdu introduction, I say, hey, everybody, it's Monday. You're like, did I miss something? No, you didn't miss anything. Um, I just kind of recorded this thing in piecemeal. So, And it gave me an idea. One thing that I'm thinking about doing that might be kind of fun, um, just because 
oftentimes it's like, oh man, I need to find like an hour or two to sit down and record and edit and post this thing. And it's like, it's hard to find that kind of time. Well, what if I did a little anthology type thing where I recorded a little bit on Monday and then something totally unrelated on Tuesday, something totally unrelated to that on Wednesday, and then posted all at the end of the week? I don't know. Thinking about that. Um, this, uh, the, the last thing that I wanted to go over here was just a quick little thing from a client of mine, Jake, and he had a question looking at um, in-home cardio options for um, he, he's in a, a growth season right now, hard gainer, trying to put on a little bit of size. And uh, there's going to come a time where uh, we need to start cutting, getting ready pre-contest, and uh, cardio is going to go up. And uh, just looking about you know how to how to manage that, how to get it in efficiently, and the best uh, best ways to do that. As far as I'm concerned, do your cardio at home. People that get up and like go to the gym for fasted cardio, and then. God forbid, go back home and eat something. And then if you go back to the gym for like a morning workout or something, it's just horribly inefficient. I mean, I appreciate the effort that goes into that, but good Lord. I mean, no, there are better ways to do it. Better ways to do it. Absolutely. So um, finding ways to do cardio at home really, really helpful as far as making the most out of your day. Basically, the less time you have to spend commuting, the better. Now, if you've got a two-minute drive to the gym, great. For me, in no traffic, it's about 14 minutes. Well, you know what? That's 30 minutes round trip. It's a half an hour out of the day. Now, you're already looking at like, you know, 2% of your day shot, pretty much. No, more than that. Hold on. Half hour, half of 24. Duh, 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 duh. No, like 4% of your day. 4% of your day. 2%. Go. Good God, just pull up your calculator, idiot. Uh, <laughs> uh, come on, calculator. I can't believe I'm, I'm really going this far as to be like, I've got to get the number right. There's 1,440 minutes in a day, 30 into that. Oops, nope, nope. <laughs> this is known as Darren uses a calculator, the new recurring segment on the drop set. 2.1% of your day spent commuting to and from the gym for fasted cardio. I'm like, no. And then you go back to the gym. Now suddenly you're clocking almost 5% of your day just going to and from the gym. Screw that. Be more efficient. Just like with meal prep, find ways to be more efficient. You know, the idea is we do more with less, um, you know, less gas in the tank. The hours in the day are constant. And uh, so finding ways to get more done without spending more time preparing to or winding down from doing that stuff, the better off you will be. So cardio at home. Um, the simplest option is uh, body weight routines. You can do that. I mean, for me, boy, it's hard to do that. They're, they're really hard just because they, they require effort to do them well. Um, and I have a really hard time um, forcing myself to do that versus if I can just climb on a machine or something, much better, much more likely that I'm going to get it done, much better adherence that way, um, much less likely that I'm going to half-ass my way through it. So you've got to kind of play to your strengths and weaknesses and know um, your, your tendencies to want to, you know, undersell your efforts or, or whatever. So, um, but that's always an option. You can jump rope at home for steady state cardio. You can do a conditioning circuit that includes like, you know, um, burpees for 15 seconds and then just, you know, body weight squats or jumping jacks or jogging in place for 45 seconds. And you can do that for 20 minutes. You know, I mean, that's totally, totally doable and reasonable. You just need an interval timer. You set up some music. Um, you can wear headphones. If you've got other people around, you're trying not to wake up. But, you know, unless you live in a studio apartment that you're sharing with other people, uh, you can do that and you can find space to get stuff done. And it's totally workable. So, um, 
Other options would be, um, you know, you could just go for a jog around the neighborhood, likely. I mean, you're only really going to get steady state cardio that way. I, I'm not a big, I am a big fan of, of sprint intervals and interval cardio, but not a big fan of running sprints, um, except maybe periodically. First of all, how many hip flexors have I had people pull? How many sartorius pulls have I had from people that are doing running sprints from not having warmed up properly beforehand? A lot. It is very, very common injury with any kind of sprinter as a quad pull. Um, so you, the, 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 I'm, you, we've got to do enough cardio during prep. We always want to go with the kind that's least impactful and has the lowest risk of injury while still, you know, getting that heart rate up there. So, um, I'm not a big fan of running wind sprints for interval cardio every now and then maybe I will never do it just because I'm a fat boy. And, uh, no, no, my body will like shut down on me. My feet, ankles and knees will be like, what are you doing, dude? You are not built for this. Stop it. Drop 40 pounds and then come back and see me again. So you, I could go for a, a little jog around the neighborhood, uh, you know, with my foot being the way it is now, I wouldn't, but it is an option. Um, this neighborhood is really hilly. So actually just walking at a really brisk pace, that's good steady state cardio. Um, not so much if I take Taz with me. Um, I've been doing that um, until my foot was acting up. I was doing that you know, pretty much six, seven days a week and getting modest cardio in that way. You know, he's got to stop and pee and smell everything. So, you know, it's, it's not really a good constant pace. Yeah, I, I get get some calories burned, but I had a really tough, I, I put that on my tracker as cardio, but I tell my coach, I'm like all cardio consisted of dog walking. So, you know, figure it's about 60% of where it probably should be as far as intensity is concerned, you know, for a growth phase, that's fine. I'm getting some steps in, I'm getting my heart rate up a little bit. You know, it's, it's not like I'm trying to shred down and get ready for a show or anything like that. So, but, uh, sands the dog um you could do uh, you could do some of that that's that's fine there's nothing wrong with that um and then you're looking at machine-based options so and what jake was asking about was you know what can i add into the home what would you recommend um and so let's go for options from like the most appealing to the least appealing no i'm sorry let's do it the other way around let's start with the least appealing options let's find let's say you find a good deal for a used step mill on craigslist now what i want you to do is uh if you find a listing like that, I want you to print it out on a sheet of paper so you can hold the listing in your hand, and I want you to light it on fire and throw it away. Um, that is about the most useful something like that can be. Um, if you buy a used step mill, um, it's kind of like the, the joke, um, how do you create a small fortune? This is like some kind of like a, uh, a an elitist's joke or something like that. The easiest way to create a small fortune is to uh, start with a large fortune and buy a boat. <laughs> so um, I've also heard that apply to airlines, but I think that's very elitist. Start with a large fortune and buy an airline. Um, so yeah, you create a small fortune by, buy, by having a large one and buying a boat. Same thing. I mean, a treadmill or I'm sorry, a step mill. First of all, it's big. It's cumbersome. It's impossible to move. God forbid you need to get that thing upstairs. It's never going to happen. You need to, you need to re remove a wall and just crane it into position. It's not going to happen. It is not realistic. Um, even putting one in the garage, what you have then is a maintenance nightmare. Nothing breaks down more reliably than a step mill. So save yourself the trouble. If somebody's trying to get rid of it, they're trying to get rid of it for a damn good reason. And don't think that you found a deal regardless of the price of that thing. Walk away. 
avoid it. I would say the next um, most appealing option, but still not a, a favorite one of mine, is a treadmill. Um, the benefit to a treadmill is a lot of them you can fold up so that their footprint, um, as far as the space that they take up normally, pretty minimal. And then you clear some stuff away, you, you fold the thing down, and it's a typical treadmill. You know, most of the residential grade treadmills are pretty shitty. And if you've had, if you've spent a lot of time on a commercial grade treadmill in a gym and you get one in your home, you're going to be like, man, this thing doesn't really feel like it supports my weight, feels rickety. Um, you know, the, the control unit doesn't feel like I can really put my weight on it, which you shouldn't anyway. That's neither here nor there. Uh, it just, you know, they, 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 the residential grade ones are just, bleh, even like low grade commercial, it's high grade residential. It's still very dicey. Um, the motors don't have the greatest lifespan in them. Um, yeah, I think, I think they're a little better now than they were say 15 or 20 years ago, but still, um, and not one of my favorite things. The other thing with that is you're pretty much doing steady state cardio because once again, not a fan of treadmill sprints. I know I've railed about that before. It's unsafe um, and it's inefficient. You've got, especially with a, a residential grade treadmill, the motors in those things do not really spin up super fast. So if you're going from a walk pace and you want to go to a sprint, you've got a lot of button pushing involved and you got to wait for that motor to sprint up and speed up. And if you're only going to sprint for 20 or 30 seconds, then you're going to bring it back down. It's a lot of button pushing, a lot of waiting, a lot of wasted time. Um, and plus, sprints are hard on your body. And if you're going to do that as your primary form of cardio, boy, you're asking for some troubles there. So I don't think that's a good idea either. Um, the next best option, I think, would be an elliptical. This is what I have. I got a Schwinn elliptical off Amazon. I think it was about 800 bucks, brand new. Big-ass freight truck delivered it to the house on a pallet. And uh, um, I think I still have that pallet in my garage, actually. So... Um, some assembly required, you know, works well. Uh, the, the technology on these things, not great, but I always use my phone or my iPad for entertainment. I'm not like, th this has a, a way where you can like plug your phone in and use the speakers coming out of the elliptical. Those speakers are shit. Come on now. It's a useless feature. But um, this one was highly rated on Amazon. I don't have any complaints about it. You know, I can take the resistance up to about a level... 16 out of 20 and that feels pretty reasonable um i can still i can do um sprint intervals on that very easily um uh it's got a water bottle holder that often gets in the way like my hands will hit it sometimes um it's got moving arms as well so i can really engage some more shoulders and back if i want to it, it's a good option the, the issue is it does have a slightly larger footprint that you can't reduce um it's not like a treadmill that folds up so it's a little bit of you know me pros and cons here. Um, I've got the space for it out in the garage. My wife is always asking me, when are you going to get rid of that elliptical? And I'm like, I'm not using it right now because it's my fat season. But when it comes time to cut down again, I'm going to get back on that thing. I realize it looks like it hasn't been touched in 10 years, but a lot of it's like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd spill a lot of water in it, uh, water on it from um, when I was cutting all the time. My water bottle would, you know, I'd knock it with my hands and water would go flying out or whatever. Um, and uh, the, the BCAA product that I was using would stain it. And so it leaves behind this white residue all over the plastic and I haven't cleaned it up. So it looks like it hasn't been used in ages because it's got all that dried crap on it. If I just go and clean it up, it would look a lot better. Rainy day project. Anyway, I do like that elliptical. Uh, decent investment, like 800 bucks, not nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's a big ask. But if you're serious about prep also... That's kind of investment that can save you a lot of time and a lot of grief down the road, really increase your capacity for doing work um, and uh, increase the amount of cardio you can do if you're someone that benefits from doing a lot, um, then ways to make that easier are going to pay off big time. The next best option would be a stationary bike. Um, I like this one. I can't sit on a bike for a super long period of time. Um, 
And, you know, at my last prep, my, my longest sessions were about 40 minutes. I could probably do that. But, it, I mean, and I know the, like, the longer you sit on a bike, the more you get accustomed to it. I get that. It's still uncomfortable for me for more than, like, 25 minutes at a time, regardless of how long I do it. So, um it's a good option. It's it's a great form of cardio. Um, they take up less space. Um, there's a wide variety of bikes. You can, you can get a spin bike. You can get a recumbent bike upright. Um, you can. I wouldn't necessarily recommend a spin bike that has manual tension on it, but something with uh, a mechanical um, uh, or uh, electronically controlled um, uh, friction resistance would be good. Um, it, it's a good option. I like it. Um, and you can. They're typically going to be a little less expensive than something like an elliptical or often even a treadmill. You can find some really cheap treadmills, but those are not worth buying. Um, you'd want to go a little bit higher grade with a bike. Um, I think even a less expensive bike um, will um, serve you better um, than a. a you know, like a moderately priced treadmill footprint, smaller, um, you know, it's, they're typically not a reducible footprint. So you're still, you know, however big it is, um, is you've got to commit some space to that, but it's not going to take up nearly as much space as an elliptical, for example. Some of those recumbent bikes certainly can get up there as far as the footprint. But if you go with an upright bike, um, it's uh, uh, certainly a lot smaller footprint. And then I, I would say probably the most practical option for a lot of people, it's the most um, cost-effective option for sure, the most realistic option for a lot of people. And you have it has the benefit of you can use some existing equipment that you may already have, and that is a bike trainer. So these things, if you go and search for these on Amazon, let me just pull them up here really quick wide range of these things. Basically, it, it, it's a prop for your back tire. So it, it brings your back tire up off the ground and um, it, it allows you to apply some friction and resistance to it. And these can be um, engaged and disengaged fairly easily. So you can still use your bike. It pulls off. Usually they'll uh, have something to pull your front tire off the ground as well. Um, so these range from, you know, I'm looking at them on Amazon right now, anywhere from like $90. Um, which, yeah, that's probably a little dicey in quality there. Actually, here's one for 58 bucks. Um, and then they have some that range up tw up towards like $300, which are a little fancier. Um, I think this has some um, some wireless control built into it as well. There's a smart bike trainer for $231. So um, th this is a, a, a pretty reasonable investment, though, especially if you already have a good bike that is fit for you and is very comfortable. Um, I think it's a great match, and uh, bike-based cardio is really effective. You know, there are a lot of competitors out there that spend time only on the bike, contrary to those who think you have to be on the step mill or else you're never going to get your hamstrings to show up. It's just not true. Bike is really productive for that. So, um, as far as at-home cardio, those are the ways that I would present it here. The, the bike trainer, especially if you already have a comfortable bike, um, pretty minimal uh, investment to get involved with it. So, um, and you know, it doesn't really take up any space. You're already storing your bike somewhere. This trainer is small. It's the size of, you know, it has the footprint of a vacuum cleaner pretty much. It's just a short little thing, maybe, you know, one square foot, basically something like that. So pretty small. Um, and and you, they can be had for uh, pretty inexpensive or you can spring for a nicer one if you want some more bells and whistles. So Anyway, worth considering there. So I just wanted to talk about that. We'll wrap it up right now, and I will send you on your way. We'll be back next week. I've got some more to cover, uh, but just ran out of time. Go figure. Story of my life. Running out of time. So I appreciate everybody who uh, is contributing. So you can hit me on Instagram. Message me there at Darren underscore star. Tweet me. Send me a direct message at Darren star. Um, Facebook message, five star, physique, uh, five star physique on Facebook. Two R's there. Um, contact me through the website, fivestarphysique.com 
thedropset.com or go to thedropset.com. Click on contact. Same thing goes right to me. Uh, or uh, you can call in and please call in because as we heard earlier from Tom, I like to hear your voice and uh, just it's more engaging. So 865-518-2974. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. We'll be back at you next week. Do your taxes. Do your taxes.